Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss in our daily lives. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I felt like I tried everything, prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, waiting, begging, you name it. Plus, I tried a few less productive approaches. And after two decades of continuing to grieve, it occurred to me that maybe I'd set the wrong goal. Instead of trying to feel better by filling those painful voids, I've learned that building a life around them is a much more attainable target. Speaking openly about my experience of grief and helping to support others to do the same serve as regular reminders that we are not alone. When we allow all the parts of us to have an expression of life, including the painful ones, we may just feel more human and less like robots on autopilot. So I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a mutually compassionate environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from ourselves and others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. So thank you for joining this episode of The Healing Path. Today, I'm chatting about a post called Pain and Suffering, (laughs) What's the Difference, and Why Should We Care? And this was shared on March 14th, 2023. In a former post, we discussed the concept of brain blunders and how they relate to our experience of grief and potential healing. As a reminder, we called out the fact that in the absence of information that makes sense to us, our brains work hard to fill in the gaps with false narratives so we feel less confused and or worried. One way this can play out is if we're missing someone we haven't heard from and we don't know why we haven't heard from them, our brains will make up reasons for the radio silence, most of, if not all, of which are false. Additionally, in this post, we looked at the importance of putting an end to making stuff up just because we don't have all the facts. Specifically, when we are grieving or supporting someone who is, we can alienate ourselves and others during a time when we most need each other if we allow stories to form in our heads about why we did or didn't hear from someone. As discussed, this leads to unnecessary suffering and can be a distraction from building our healing path. Today, let's expand that concept to chat about the differences between pain and suffering and why our ability to dive into the first and relinquish the second ultimately determines our experience of life after a loved one dies. I love words and often quote the dictionary and other authoritative sources when writing. But today, I'm resisting the urge to formally define the terms pain and suffering, and instead will rely on my own experience for purposes of this discussion. See if any of this resonates and how, if at all, the distinction between the two experiences of pain and suffering can help us pave our way to a healing path. In parentheses, notice I didn't say a pain-free path. So pain. When I think about physical pain, 
I understand that our ability to feel pain and respond to it quickly is a built-in survival mechanism that has allowed for the evolution of human beings into the most complex species on the planet. If I touch a hot burner, my hand retreats. I don't have to think much about it. Since I have a body and a brain, I may feel pain when I'm in danger, and that is an indicator that everything is working as it should. Now for suffering. When I think about physical suffering, it usually brings to mind a situation of chronic illness or something uncomfortable that I just can't seem to shake. Think chronic pain and or other physical symptoms that hang around. The initial cause may be resolved, but the experience of its effects hang around long after the injury occurs. And that can be an indicator that things are not working as they should. In a sentence, I would summarize the distinction between pain and suffering as follows. Quote, pain occurs when we get a physical message in our bodies that something is unsafe or needs our attention. By contrast, suffering occurs not from the initial stimuli, but from the stories we tell ourselves about the pain after it hit us, unquote. Given this working assumptive definition, another way to say this is pain is unavoidable and suffering is optional. You may have even heard this yourself while seeking to allay the pain of grief. If so, <laughs> you may have wanted to punch the person who said that in the mouth. When we're suffering, the last thing we need is someone telling us we are largely responsible for our own suffering and we could stop it if we wanted to. And rightfully so, because suffering can feel anything but intentional or optional. And with all due respect to our grieving hearts, I'm not saying that we can flip a switch and stop suffering. What I am posing is more of a question. Quote, Given an opportunity to feel the pain, but release the suffering, would we do what we could to make that a reality? If your answer is yes, keep listening. And now we arrive at the point of today's post. If we could process the pain without creating suffering, I think many of us would sign up for that. At least I would. But spoiler alert, this can be very hard to do. And like most things that can reduce our suffering, this too is a practice that we can implement and get better at over time. But it takes intention and it takes a willingness to try. When someone dies, we hurt. That is not optional. That is actually inevitable, at least if we're human. As much as we may want to be free of the pain that results after a loved one is forever gone, we also know that the pain we feel is our receipt for loving it all. No love, no pain. It's that simple. So the more pain we feel when someone is gone, the greater the love experience must have been while they were alive. Respectfully, we cannot escape grief-related pain if we care about someone who has died. I've tried a million different ways in the 25 years since my daughter Alexis died and the 21 years since my son Emmanuel died. It's a non-starter. So 
Maybe that's not very encouraging. But what is encouraging is learning and understanding that the suffering that tags along with grief pain is something we can choose to starve or feed. I'm treading incredibly lightly here so as not to hurt anyone or suggest that suffering is a choice. But I am actually saying that while pain is unavoidable, we do have some control over the suffering aspect of loss. If we can begin to understand this, we can start making choices that honor our pain but decrease our suffering. Here's an example. When my daughter died, I was in shock. I still am, if we're keeping score. (laughs) I miss Alexis, and I wonder who we'd all be today if she hadn't been sick and she'd actually grown into a young woman. I long for her scent, her eyes, her grip on my little finger. Those things are forever gone, and that hurts me, my whole being, to my core, every moment of every day. This is what I mean by pain. It's unavoidable if someone whom we love dies. But now let's look at the suffering aspect. When Alexis died, uh, and she was 13 months, by the way, 13 months and five days, so many people said things intended to be comforting like, quote, parents are not supposed to bury their children, or you don't deserve this, or this is not supposed to happen, unquote. These are well-intentioned statements, and I have no doubt that they came from a place of love and helplessness. But when the dust settles, and I didn't die too, although I was sure I would, I had two things to contend with. The first was my grief pain, and the second was this lingering suspicion that I must be some kind of victim or something. If the death of Alexis was not supposed to happen, then I must be able to get a do-over somehow. Or maybe God just forgot about me, or worse, doesn't even exist. Or maybe I'm being punished for stealing my mom's car when I was underage. Could I have done something to deserve this? I will pay this price for the rest of my life, and on and on and on. As long as I believe that I am a victim and that something should not have happened, I am living in a space of negative energy and asking questions like, why me? Why her? Why this child? What did I do? What's wrong with me? How could I let this happen? And how could he have died? When I'm in a space of constant insecurity, I'm experiencing and contributing to my own suffering. Please note the distinction. Again, I experience pain because my daughter died. I experience pain because my son died. But I experience suffering because I tell myself that these things should not have happened. Alternatively, what if Alexis and Emmanuel had died while I lived in a culture that understands and even celebrates the fact that death is a natural part of life? What if comments from others and my own internal dialogue 
stopped looking for a place to assign blame for this loss and instead focused on reminding me that I am not alone and not a victim. Here are a few examples. Quote, Lisa, this is the hardest loss any parent can face, and it will probably always hurt. But women all through history have lost their children and gone on to live fulfilling lives. Unquote. Here's another one. There's nothing you did, Lisa, could have done, or can do now that has anything to do with how sick Alexis was. Unquote. And here's another. Quote, Had Alexis come to another family, she may not have survived as long as she did with you. You did everything you could do to help her body grow strong. And I am so sorry for your loss. As, unquote, as a disclaimer, I'm not assuming no one said these things to me when I was burying my children because they probably did. But my ears only heard the negative things, the blame, the victimhood that I chose to indulge in, and I take responsibility for that. And in a small way, I'm inviting you to do the same in your own potential situation. Because when we move from suffering, in parentheses, insecurity, blame, shame, and guilt, to mention a few, to non-suffering, in parentheses, acceptance, forgiveness, love, gratitude, and hope, our lives have a much better chance at being fulfilling and worthwhile. And if we have a chance at a worthwhile life, even though our hearts are fractured, why not give that a try? What do we have to lose? If we miss the suffering, we can always return to our negative, accusatory, arrogant stories of how this is our fault and reignite the suffering engine in no time flat. So why not try the reduced suffering route? But how, you may be thinking. I get it. This sounds simple, and it actually is. But it's not easy. Simple means that it's doable, not effortlessly easy. One way I've helped myself out of the suffering nature of my grief pain is to look for examples of others who have chosen worthwhile over vacant suffering. Our Western culture doesn't hold much promise, and we're trying to change that in parentheses, in terms of building a healing path after someone dies. Our culture promotes and celebrates youth no matter what the cost and spits on the aging process and ultimately on death. So it's not easy to find people who speak this language. But if we can back up out of our local geographies and our pain and look at other cultures, we find people are not embarrassed or shamed or looked down on for grieving. No one's rushing them through their grief. In some cultures, they shave their heads as a sign of grief, so everyone knows that they're grieving. In other cultures, there's almost a competition for who will, for example, get to carry the body, or who will get to burn the body, or who will say the final words. And as morose as this may sound, 
it does reposition our experience into something that is more universal and acceptable. These traditions around death and dying promote respect for the dead and dying process and support for those who survive. When someone dies, there's no surprise. Since life is a terminal condition, as Eckhart Tolle would say, there is an inclusion of this inevitability of daily life instead of a, quote, how could this happen to me, to her, to him, to us, unquote, approach. And this brings us back to pain and suffering. Pain is what we feel when we lose someone we love. Suffering is what happens when we tell ourselves it is anything but natural. Having grieved myself for two and a half decades, I do not have any good news about the pain itself. Grief pain is grief pain, and it's unavoidable if we're alive. But suffering is more insidious. It's like a pain hangover that never relents. The messages that we allow into our hearts, including those from people we trust, and even those which we create, can play a major role in if, when, and how much we suffer. It may take a lifetime to sort through these differences between pain and suffering, but rest assured, You and we are not alone. Not ever. We are not the first generations to bury our children, parents, friends, partners, relatives, and colleagues, and we certainly won't be the last. If we can start in the place of every coin has two sides, life and death, we can spend less time feeling like a victim and more time tending to our open wounds that the death of our loved one has left upon us. In summary, more self-care plus less self-criticism equals reduced suffering. So thanks again for checking out this episode of the Healing Path podcast. This is a really tricky distinction that I'm kind of addressing. And so I just want to throw out there that this isn't meant to um, help us be more defensive or make us more self-conscious or more insecure. Quite the opposite. Um, what I'm trying to share is that, again, the narratives, just like in the post about brain blenders, the things that we tell ourselves about something that happens, whether it's the death of a loved one or loss of a job or end of a marriage or whatever it might be, crash of the economy, the, the the initial insult doesn't change, but we do have some control over the suffering aspect because by definition, if something shouldn't have happened, then it's all wrong. And if it's all wrong, then we're all wrong. And we can carry that. I carried that for so long, not knowing you know, what I had done to deserve losing two of my children Good gracious, when I grew up, um, I didn't know any small children that died or had these types of bone marrow uh, illnesses or anything like that. I was in shock uh, from day one. And it seems like if I had been able to give myself a different narrative, which would be, 
you know, sometimes spirits are born into lives and they do their work and they're gone or, you know, any, anything that can, I don't want to say put a bow on it because it's not putting a bow on it. It actually, we can choose to believe and cope with our grief in whatever way makes it most possible for us. So I'm not saying that we don't hurt the the pain, you know, again, I still feel it to this day as I look at a beautiful black and white picture of my my daughter that was taken by a friend before she died and you know, it it's going to hurt. It doesn't stop hurting necessarily, but the suffering part of it, the mental gymnastics and the emotional trauma that we put ourselves through going back over every decision, every action, every input, every intervention and all the things that we did trying to figure out where we went wrong when really there is nothing wrong. It's just that our bodies are created differently and the spirits within the bodies have work to do. And when that work is done, they get to not suffer anymore. They get to not have physical or any kind of pain anymore. And the only thing that's not fun about that is when we die, we don't know it because we're gone. So what I alternatively encourage and try to manifest and cultivate in my own grief practice in building this healing path is stop telling myself that this was not supposed to happen and start reminding myself of the miracles and the love that were so strong in 13 months and five days. And in just an hour or so with my son, Emmanuel, who died at birth, we still, we still had that connection. These lives still came to me. And although my mother's heart will always be broken, it's also true that they taught me things and that I had experiences because I was their mom that I wouldn't have had if I had a typically developing child. You know, we talk about grief, you know, it's the club that nobody wants to belong to. When I used to go to parent support groups, we used to kind of make a joke about that. And it's true. And we don't have any say in it. And that makes it even harder. But at the same time, instead of thinking it's the club no one wants to belong to, we can look around and realize we're not the only ones in the club. There are people who have walked these paths. There are people who, um, who have had experience with trying to sort through the the most painful of tragedies. And by all accounts, losing a daughter or a son to illness, in my humble experience, I feel, is just not the worst thing that can happen to a parent. I think about parents who whose children have, you know, disassociated from their lives, or maybe they moved away and never came back, or worse, you know, were somehow abducted or taken into human trafficking situations or, um, you know, being at war and not being able to protect your children. These are things that, that cause a type of pain that I actually don't know. So I'm grateful for that. And as usual, I think focusing on the things that we're grateful for, at least it helps us balance out our perspective. So thank you again for joining uh, this episode of The Healing Path. And I just want to restate that, yeah, if you hear me saying, hey, suffering is optional, you're probably going to want to punch me out. And I wouldn't blame you if you did, because until we really understand the difference between pain and suffering, 
um, the suggestion that suffering is anything but inevitable is extremely uh, aggressive and it's insulting, really, quite frankly. So I am not looking to insult anyone. Um, I'm trying to share some of the things that I feel like I've been able to learn and sort through over time that might make your journey of healing easier. And again, nothing takes away the pain. And if we have no pain, then we had no love. So that's not actually an optimal situation either. But I really do encourage you to just, you know, increase the self-care and decrease the criticism of yourself. And you might might find that you're suffering just a little bit less. Um, Again, it's not a a switch that we can flip. It's a process. It's a practice. Um, But being able to distinguish between the two and controlling those things that we do have control over, because there's so much that we don't, allows us, again, that feeling of empowerment, um, may give us new views on things, new perspective on things. And if we're going to lead a fulfilling and worthwhile life, we need those things. We need perspective. We need to balance out the fact that we feel victimized. And that's a very natural response, by the way. So don't, again, don't judge yourself if you are feeling in that victimhood place. But just know that we can open up to a broader perspective and find that we're on a healing path that does honor our pain, but does not feed and grow and fan the flames on our suffering. So until next time, let's do our best to stay present, to stay grateful, and to stay healing. And as always, I thank you so much for listening.